1: Hi, welcome back to the New Books Network. My name is Adam Bobek and I'm a PhD candidate in sociocultural anthropology at the University of Leipzig. I am extremely excited to welcome Dr. Alan John Ainsworth to the show today. Dr. Ainsworth is an independent scholar based in Edinburgh and he researches and writes mainly on jazz, jazz photography, the history of photography, architecture and design. Today, we're discussing his new book, Sight Readings, Photographers and American Jazz from 1900 to 1960, which was published in 2022 with Intellect Press. Dr. Ainsworth, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you. Nice to be here.
1: What inspired this book?
0: Well, I suppose I have to go back over 10 years to answer that question, really. Um, And I guess there are three three main inspirations behind it. The first is that i am a photographer and i do photograph jazz musicians and i think the experience of doing that over the years has been that you get to know musicians and you get to know the um, the life behind the performance if i could put it that way um it become it, it soon became clear to me working with jazz musicians and photographing them that there's a there's a culture there and there's a community behind the performance and I began to feel as a photographer that there was more to photographing jazz than simply photographing musicians in in performance. So I think that was one factor, and that goes back a long way, as long as I've been photographing musicians. The, The second, I guess, was my own reading of photographic history and my own reading of photographic theory, which has emerged and developed over the last 40 or 30 or 40 years. And in many respects I um, have concerns about the way in which photographic theory has developed and in particular in the sense that uh, the way in which photographers can actually manage the image they produce has tended to disappear from thinking about photographs. Photographs have tended to be regarded as things, as cultural artifacts which pass into circulation, take on certain meanings and the initial impetus behind the creation of the photograph seems to have dropped out. So I wanted to bring the the emphasis back to the photographer and the way they they, the way a photographer can use um, the photograph and create images and create meaning. And I suppose the third inspiration behind it was the increasing recognition that jazz writing and jazz literature has concentrated on a very small number of photographers. And the more I researched in archives in uh, in America, mostly, I was finding photographers who are simply not mentioned in the jazz literature, but made an enormous contribution to the archive. And I became very concerned that virtually every jazz book concentrates on a relatively small number of photographers and they're mostly white art photographers. And I found that a large number of photographers were simply being overlooked. So I suppose those are the three the three things that came together in the book.
1: Can you talk a little bit? I mean, you just touched on this. Can you talk a little bit about the research that went into this book?
0: Yes. Yes, of course. Um, I, I, I suppose at the point where I realized that... Um, book needed to be written and I had a broad idea of the approach I wanted to take, Um, it it became clear that the only way to pursue this really was by going and looking at photographic archives and in particular trying to find examples of um, the work of photographers who might be a little bit different or don't appear in the jazz literature. Um, and given that I wanted to concentrate on America, which is a point we might want to come back to at some 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 point, um, I I knew that the archives, most of the archives, were in America, uh, and so there was no no option but to go and dig them out, dig out the photographs, uh, which is what I did over a period of about five years, in six or seven different research trips to America. I. Probably consulted photographs in about fifteen or twenty different archives in, in the U.S. Um, some of them were large archives of well-known photographers, but I, I became particularly interested in archives which had f- examples of the work of photographers who were not um, were not covered in the literature. Um, so, just to give one example, if I can. Um, I went to a, a, an archive at California State University, the Northridge campus, um, and I found there uh, a vast archive of, uh, of, of of photographs by black photographers on the West Coast, many of which had not yet been processed. Um, so it was a case of, uh, in, man, in, in many instances, a, a case of going through negatives. Or glass plates. And that was a fascinating experience. And that happened fairly on in the research process. But that convinced me that there were photographers whose work was extremely valuable, but were
1: worth bringing out and highlighting. And why focus on the US from 1900 to 1960 at all? Well,
0: I suppose there are two two sides to that question. Um, I think it's a key period. Um, well let's, let's start with America first um, I did start with the idea of looking at jazz photography um, in general and that would take in a lot of um, well not just British but also continental European work and there are some very very fine German, Italian photographers Scandinavian photographers uh, and of course British um, it, it becomes unmanageable so I think the first thing really was to narrow down the focus of attention. But there's a more fundamental reason, which is that increasingly as the research progressed, what became clear was that I was situating photography in a specific cultural context. And I think the interesting thing about jazz in general, and it also applies to photography, is that jazz internationalized very, very quickly but as jazz moved from america to uh, to britain to france to germany it took on very different meanings and if you look at jazz, um, jazz jazz history and the the dispersion of jazz globally the one thing you find that in different countries there are intense debates about the meaning of jazz, in particular the attempt to define what is British jazz or what is German jazz or what is French jazz. So it's very clear that as a music, it probably applies to any music but it certainly applies to jazz as a music, jazz takes on different meanings in different countries and therefore I wanted, I felt it necessary to concentrate on the US to specifically locate this visual output in in a specific um a specific visual context why 1900 to 1960 well in the last chapter of the book i explained that i think 1960 represents, represents a turning point and it represents a turning point in for jazz in general um, huge number of changes in the sixties. I think it's the, the point at which jazz globalised, at which jazz began to uh, cross over with other types of music in different ways in different countries. But the, the, the first generation, if I can put it that way, of jazz musicians were dying out. And the first generation of jazz photography had suddenly become a tradition. So photographers in the 1960s were not only looking forward to the music as it was, but were looking back to something that had become a tradition. And I think at that point you get significant changes in the way in which photographers um, interpreted the music. It ties in with a lot of changes in photography itself um, and the way in which uh, photography took on um, well, I I suppose you might say in short, under an experiential dimension, after the 1960s, and photography began to merge into general art practices. So I think it's a turning point. Um, I mean, you can, I think with historical research, you can probably... identify turning points pretty well anywhere. <laughs> but I think there is a good case to be made for the fact that from about 1960 onwards, the nature of photography and the nature of jazz photography and the nature of jazz changed, and probably a convenient point to look back at the history of jazz photography. If I may add just one further point, um, there aren't many full-length books on jazz photography, but one that inspired me, perhaps I should have put this in the inspirations And your first question, um, was Benjamin Cawthorne's book, Blue Notes in Black and White. And um, I read that book perhaps halfway into the research for sight reading. spoke to Ben and I met him um, in America, and um, he was very generous in encouraging me to, to do this because he knew that as the, the first full-length book on jazz photography, inevitably um, the book had been... Um, um, partial, I suppose, I think the very words he used and and was very keen to see someone filling in the gaps,
1: particularly in the prehistory. Early on in the book, you write that the fundamental premise of the book is that photography is a form of practical engagement in the real world and that the photograph is a site of reflexivity. Can you elaborate what this means? Yes.
0: um, I... I suppose, in a sense, what you what you've just said is the, is an encapsulation of the theoretical perspective behind behind the book, and I try not to clutter the text with that theoretical um, uh, framework, um, and I I've I've I put it in an appendix at the back. But essentially, what I'm saying is um, emphasising the point I made a, a, a moment ago about bringing the emphasis back to the photographer. Photographing, making visual images using photographic equipment, I regard as being an active process. It's something which photographers, um, uh, the equipment, the medium, is something which photographers can use actively to create um, an expression, a form of expression which has a subjective basis, and in looking at jazz as an example of this process, what I was trying to do was to look at the ways in which photographers have taken the medium, taken the technology of the medium, and used it to express their own elements of their own subjectivity. Now, this is not an uncontroversial statement. There are many people who claim that photography is an automatic process. You pick up a camera, you press the shutter button and the thing happens. And obviously it is true that as a technology, photography constrains the eventual visual output. But what I wanted to emphasize was that there, are, um, there is considerable latitude within the technology for photographers to impose their own vision on the, the visual output. So that's the first point. The second point, when I talk about this engagement and reflexivity, um, brings me to the question of the relationship between the context in which photographers operate and that subjectivity. And This is a, a debate in the social and cultural sciences, which has been going on um, forever. Um, the relationship between the structure in which we live, the structure which confronts us all, whether it's cultural, social, political, economic, and the individual. How much is the individual and his or her subjectivity uh, shaped by structure? How much can that subjectivity impose itself upon the structure in which we all find ourselves? And again, um, my concern about much photographic theory was the emphasis upon um, structure rather than subjectivity. And I turn to the um, theoretical writings of a British sociologist, Margaret Archer, who has, in a number of books, has addressed this particular question. And what I find attractive about the way she addresses it is that um, she um, creates a has created a body of theoretical work in which both um, social cultural structures and individuality have a measure of autonomy, and she explores the way in which that autonomy plays itself out and interacts with each other. And her the, the, the phrase reflexivity I I take from Archer, and it's her description of the ways in which individuals interact with the world and take from that conscious active interaction. Uh, reflect back upon themselves in a a dynamic process. So in a sense, what I've done is to take Margaret Archer's um, theoretical writings about individuality and reflexivity and apply it in the case of photography.
1: Could you talk a little bit about the ways in which photography has shaped jazz?
0: The way photography has shaped jazz? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, well I suppose you have to look at this from two sides really, from the point of view of viewers of photography, the way they see jazz and jazz musicians and jazz practice. We take the first, um, it's clear that photography has had a huge impact on the ways in which people see jazz and think about jazz and think about jazz musicians um one of the things i sometimes do if i'm giving talks on jazz photography and i do this when i'm talking to photography groups rather than jazz enthusiasts is i say to the photographers um how many of you would regard yourselves as being jazz fans or jazz enthusiasts and maybe two or three people put their hands up and then i say how many of you have been to see jazz performances and Maybe a couple more might put their hand up. And then I say, how many of you have an idea about jazz? What what do you think a jazz musician looks like? And everybody puts their hand up. (laughs) And then, of course, I say, well, where do you get that idea from? (laughs) And The answer is photography. Um, Jazz is unique in that um, it's the first art form whose entire existence has been documented visually. Um and that that has created um meanings around the music and expectations about what jazz is because not many people jazz is a minority music, not many people actually have direct experience of jazz or the, the jazz the jazz performance, but virtually everybody has seen photographs of jazz musicians. And given that the same photographs tend to get circulated over and over again, <laughs> um, the iconic photographs then um, people tend to pick up the same sort of um, ha- have a common understanding of the jazz musician. So we're talking about uh, musicians who are dressed in certain ways, um, behave in certain ways. There's cigarette smoke, it's in a dark environment. There are saxophones around, there are double bass around, probably the two instruments that most, the most iconic jazz. Um, and... And they're they're probably black guys rather than white guys. (laughs) And that's the impression that people have.
1: And they're probably men rather than women, right? And
0: they're they're almost certainly men rather than women, yes. That's right. Yeah, Exactly right, yes. So that impression has filtered through, and photography has had a huge impact on what people think about jazz, to the point where many people who perhaps had no contact whatsoever with jazz can tell you what they think jazz is. Um, one jazz textbook, John John Sweat's book, uh, Jazz One Hundred One. Um, I can't quote it exactly. I'm doing it from memory. Uh, he says that the jazz musician is perhaps the most powerful cultural stereotype that's been, a, that's, been a, that's come into existence, apart from that of the English gentleman. <laughs> So I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. So, so one side, one answer to your question is the way in which photography has influenced the perceptions of jazz. And on the other side of the question, then, is, is has it influenced jazz practice itself? Has it influenced musicians? And I think the answer to that is undoubtedly yes, and from a very early stage. So one of the things I do in the book is to try to look at types of jazz photography that tend to be... Uh, overlooked actually in many cases completely ignored in the jazz literature and one of those is jazz portraiture studio portraiture and jazz musicians started going into uh, portrait studios in the 1920s these are very different types of photographs from the guy, guy in the smoky club with the saxophone um, these these are publicity photographs in the name and I think because they're publicity photographs, many jazz scholars tend to ignore them. You know, that's commercial, that's that's publicity. But actually, I think they're exceedingly important because they show that as early as the 1920s, jazz musicians wanted to go into the studio and wanted to present themselves in certain ways. And you get from those photographs um, clear understanding of the relationship between jazz and its commercial environment. Um, in in the book, I. I situate these, the, the jazz portraiture of the 20s and 30s in the context of Hollywood portraiture, because um, it was Hollywood portraiture which was incredibly um, widespread, incredibly powerful cultural influence in America in the 1920s and 30s. And it's that that really sets the, the standard, as it were, sets the context in which jazz musicians were operating of course when it came to doing the photographs the portraits are actually very different from hollywood photographs so it's the difference between the jazz portraits and the hollywood photographs the gap between the two that you can you can begin to read these these photographs so um from the 20s onwards then jazz musicians were aware of photography and were actively using photography i think another example would be in the 40s with the um uh, the bebop generation, Gillespie, Parker, Thelonious Monk and others, who consciously used the visual image as part of the ways in which they were developing jazz. And this was picked up in the literature at the time. It's always picked up in jazz history. It's the fact that Gillespie appeared with his horn and glasses, his beret, his goatee beard and so on, his, his upturned trumpet um you know Thelonious Monk was well aware of the visual impact of his uh, performances, his dancing around the stage, his hats and so on. Um, I'm not sure Charlie Parker was, I think Charlie Parker was just too absorbed in his music to be <laughs> concerned about the visual impact but at that point there is very clear, Benjamin, Coul- Benjamin Coulter calls a co-production between photographers and black musicians and um the fact that many of these many of the photographers were white photographers doesn't alter the fact that in many respects it was the black musicians that were shaping their visual their visual image, and uh, they knew that photography would be an extremely powerful way of getting that across, and certainly reading the the literature from the time, the press reports, the magazines, and so on you can see that the visual impact of the bebop generation was as important as the music they created. And I think it's gone on since then.
1: In the book, you write about this difference in photography between photography as expression and photography as documentation. Could you explain that for listeners?
0: Yes. um, In fact, I... um, I have a chapter on both, on the the jazz photograph as document and um, the jazz photograph as, as expression. Um, I, I suppose what I'm trying to do is to get to the point of arguing that I don't think there is any such thing as a pure documentary photograph or any such thing as a pure expressive photograph. Any photograph is inevitably a mixture of the two um it's it's clear any photograph is clearly a documentary image because it records what's in front of the lens but equally you follow my argument any photograph is also expressive because there's a photographer behind the lens so you can't separate the two in practice but analytically you can so what i try to do in the book is to have a chapter on the the jazz photograph as document and the jazz photographers as expression to identify the characteristics of each but then go on to show how in the case of individual photographers the two elements of the visual image are used creatively but uh, to come back to your point how how can uh, what documentary information evidence can we get from a photograph and i think there's a lot more than perhaps many people imagine Um, Very quickly, uh, just photographs allow us to identify musicians, to identify where they are, to identify the musicians they're playing with, uh, to identify the context in which they're playing. And that's been enormous value to historians and uh, discographers. We see the instruments. We see the way in which instruments change. We say that we see the way in which band lineups change. Some instruments disappear, like the tuba disappears in the twenties. We see the saxophone coming in much earlier than we thought originally, because of early photographs. Uh, we see the the makeup of jazz bands how that, that's changed and evolved over time. We see jazz musicians in studios. From photographs taken in studios, and that allows us to understand the differences in the audio output, particularly the switch from uh, the switch to electrical recording. Uh, photographs in studios show how musicians um, line themselves up uh, around um, early early recording equipment, and that explains the nature of the the sound that was produced we see the gender and we see the race of people of musicians in photographs uh we see the gender which is mostly male but in the archives there are far more photographs of female musicians than were published at the time so we know there were female musicians we know what they were doing we know who they were playing with and we see the race of musicians and this is interesting because Photographs taken in less public circumstances, for instance, in recording studios, show that there was much more integrated playing than photographs taken in public performance. We see the nature of performance spaces. So we understand how musicians worked in different spaces and responded to different spaces. And we also see the more informal side of the jazz life, jazz musicians on the road taken in tour buses, Uh, and get an impression um, of what life was like. So in all those sorts of ways, jazz photographs give us documentary evidence. And that documentary evidence is, I think, a lot wider than many people um, have assumed.
1: So in Chapter 3, you talk about jazz images as documents. And in Chapter 4, you talk about jazz jazz images as expressions. So maybe now is the opportunity to...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thanks. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. And I think then in then in the following chapter, after looking at the documentary uses, I then ask, in what sense can we describe jazz, jazz photography as a as a form of expression? And here I look at a number of different themes. Uh, one of which is the idea of visualizing sounds uh, and synesthesia. Um, there is no doubt, to my mind. That, and this is reflected in a lot of writings on jazz photography, that the visual image can evoke the sound. And I look at ways in which that's done through memory, through recording. There's also, as well, the the sense that jazz is a very, very embodied music. Um, you know, it, it it's a music created by the individuals. Um, And you can understand the music through the individuals. And I think there's a huge amount of truth in that, of course, because there's a huge variety in the way in which individual jazz musicians approach their playing, uh, many different characteristics. And you can see this in photography. So photographers, jazz photographers, have gone to considerable lengths to try and capture that embodied moment in which... Uh, musicians are playing. This is mainly done of course in performance photography and they're trying to capture the spontaneity of, of improvisation and so on and so they're looking for for um, the kinesis of, of the photograph, bodily gestures, facial expressions, the interaction between different musicians on stage um, and that sort of thing. Then there's um, jazz photography expressive of a wider jazz culture i mean jazz photography is not just about performance photography there's a lifestyle behind um jazz as a practice there's a community of jazz musicians and a wider community of friends families uh, business associates and so on uh, in another article i wrote recently i called it the ecology of jazz and again you can get to understand that ecology through visual images you see jazz musicians in informal circumstances, you see them backstage, you see them interacting with others that form part of that art world of, uh, to use another term, that art world of jazz. You can, it it, it expresses itself in different ways. Some some photographers have seen this uh, in the form of a kind of artistic subculture and have portrayed jazz musicians in that sort of way. And I think the final point I'd make about the jazz photographers' expressive is to pivot a little back a little bit and talk about the black photographers, who I spend a lot of time in the book uh, talking about for the simple reason that they've been overlooked. And I think black photographers produced a very different kind of jazz image from the white photographers. They were more concerned with the cultural. Of, of black cultural life and jazz as an expression of black cultural life rather than the more artistic um, shots of jazz performance so you will you will find that the black photographers spend as much time if not more photographing the musicians as part of the community as part of the culture from which they emerged with other members of the black community Uh, typically many many of these photographers were photojournalists and typically they were photographing jazz musicians as they came through their town and of course it was only one of their photographic activities they photographed everything else going on in the town so they photographed sports activities they photographed churches um, they photographed social events in the black community and they photographed jazz musicians and the jazz musician visiting Detroit or Chicago or Pittsburgh, was as much a part of the, the, the visual recording of the life of the Black community. And I think it's probably when we're talking about the jazz photographer's expression, you know, that, that's the thing that I've tried to bring out in this book, that there are different types of photography, the point I made earlier, and the black photographers lived in a different environment and approached the music in a very different way from the white photographers who have dominated the discourse around photography.
1: Yeah, right on the, uh, the second page of the book, you mentioned that there are really two problems with jazz photography. The first problem is, is that, that the canon is almost all white men. And the second problem is that there's a canon at all. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right.
0: The canon is almost white photographers, Um, uh, perhaps with one exception, which is Chuck Stewart, a black photographer who carved out um, a very considerable reputation, very, very uh, accomplished photographer. Um, Interestingly enough, Chuck Stewart was in fact um, started as an assistant to Herman Leonard, the, the photographer that everyone thinks of as the white jazz photographer. Um, and I think working with Lennon gave him a start in the business, but he was a very, very accomplished photographer uh, in his own right. Um, but apart from Chuck Stewart, all other photographers that tend to get written about um are white photographers and it's a relatively small number. Um, There are a couple of young American scholars who I quote in the the book, who've done a survey of photographs in jazz educational texts. And I won't quote the percentages to you, but um, they show quite clearly, having been through a number of of key texts, how a very small number of photographers dominate um, the the visual presentation of jazz. Um, And I I give another another examples as well. So, there, jazz scholarship has created a canon of jazz photographers, and that canon happens to be largely white. This is an extraordinary situation, because over the last 30 or 40 years, just scholarship has moved in exactly the opposite direction. <laughs> jazz scholarship has tried to look, tries to bring out the diversity and fragmentation of jazz, um, the differences around different types of jazz, Yet here, and certainly to move away from the, the sort of canonical scholarship of the 1930s and 1940s, 50s, where every book on jazz was a list of names of great players. Um, and moving in this direction, one would have thought that jazz scholars will be looking at photography and saying, let us move away from this canon as well. But nevertheless, it hasn't been challenged. So, if I make a claim for the book, I think it is that it's the first one really to challenge that canonization of white jazz photographers and to bring into focus the work of a wide range of other photographers. I've already mentioned black photographers, I've mentioned studio photographers. I have a chapter on exiles and emigres that I think is an extremely important contribution to jazz imagery, but which has been largely overlooked.
1: Yeah, I mean in the book you also write that jazz scholarship has not only challenged not challenged this sort of canon, but it hasn't really engaged with photography at all. I think that's right.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's right. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think jazz scholarship has taken photographs
0: as photographs as representations, as 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 realist representations of life. I don't want to suggest that every Jazz writer does that. I mean, certainly there have been uh, there are plenty of examples of jazz writers taking images, but but I have to say, generally, again, the same images <laughs> on the same photographers and looking at them and trying to read those images in different ways. Um, but the extent to which jazz scholarship has drawn on jazz photographic uh, on, on on photography theory. Is, a, is limited, and again, this is surprising because the one of the impetus to the re, to the changes in just in the last forty years has been the cross referencing, the cross connections with other forms of scholarship, particularly literary studies, uh, but by no means only literary studies, cultural studies as well, ethnography. Um, a whole range of disciplines have really revitalized jazz scholarship, yet the the body of work on photography has not really been absorbed in that way. So that's again why I try to bring the theoretical perspective into it, albeit that I'm trying to introduce a slightly different theoretical perspective. <laughs>
1: And sort of predictably, of course, throughout the book, uh, you use photographs. Not only do you speak about photographs, but you also have photographs printed throughout the pages of the book. Uh, 136, yeah. And so my question then is, what is your favorite jazz photograph?
0: I can answer that um, because I've been asked it asked a few times. Um, and... The photograph I always choose to answer this question is um, Herb Schnitzer's photograph of Louis Armstrong taken in 1960, with which I end the book. And, and there's um, a four-page photograph. And um, I'm not sure the listeners to this will be able to see this, but there it is. <laughs> That's
1: my copy. Maybe, maybe you could describe it for listeners that way. I will. I will. I will. Um,
0: by a photographer called Herb Schnitzer, um, a younger photographer than many, of them, that's a sort of second generation of um, uh, white photographers who travelled with Louis Armstrong in 1960 on the tour bus with permission from Joe Glatia, uh, Armstrong's manager. And he took a photograph of Armstrong on the tour bus. And this wasn't in the southern states. This was in the northern states. The, the Armstrong and the band were on the way to Tundalwood and um, the bus had stopped for a break and um, Armstrong and the band had gone to the restroom and Armstrong came back and he'd been denied entry to the restroom because it was black. This was in 1960 and we must remember at that stage Louis Armstrong was a major uh, a major artistic figure not just not just nationally but internationally as well he appeared in, in in movies he was he was an extremely popular artist um globally yet he'd been, been denied access to the restroom and schnitzer took the the photograph immediately after armstrong came back on the bus and sat down and it's a very different type of photograph from the photographs that always get reproduced of Louis Armstrong on stage, mugging to the crowd. Um, he's sitting on the bus. He's looking. He has an expression on his face of deep contemplation. Um, he's um, he has an open neck shirt. Um, you can see the Star of David that he always wore around his neck because his collar, his shirt is undone, and. I'll just come back to that point in a second. He's smoking something. <laughs> Might have been a cigarette, not quite sure. Um, and the rest of it, the rest of the photograph is indistinct. The, the headrests on the bus merge blur into a into into a sort of indistinct blur. And you get this sense of isolation, you get the sense of Armstrong being on his own, isolated in these circumstances. And you have a sense just from looking at the photograph that something really quite important has happened from his expression. It's a very, very different type of photograph. And um, I, I went, as part of the research I did for the book, I went to see her, smitter, um, who, when I saw him a few years ago, was already then in his, um, in his early 80s. And um, he lives in St. Petersburg, Florida. And um, I spent a long time talking to him, and he told me the story about taking this photograph. And this is, this is the quote, a quote from the discussion I had with Herb. When Louis Armstrong returned to the bus, he was furious. I had not yet seen a look like that on his face. To make Pops furious was doing something, because he was usually so mellow. I will never forget the look on his face, the most famous entertainer in America, and he couldn't use the bathroom because it was black. And her told me that that story, and um, I have told that story a few times, subsequently. And when I talk about jazz photography, I often show the photograph, and I tell the story. And I can tell you, I have noticed how moved people are by it. Um, you know, when they see the story behind the photograph and they understand it, it has a considerable impact on people. Anyway, when I finished talking to Hobschnitzer in um, his home in St. Petersburg, um, he showed me some, um, he took me upstairs to a box of prints and we were looking through his prints and we came across this print and I said, can I buy it from you? <laughs> and um, he, he he was hesitant because he lost the negative. So here's something interesting: one of the most famous photographs in jazz history, and to my mind, one of the most important. The negative is gone. He lost it in a, a house move. But anyway, he gave way eventually, and he sold me the copy. So that's that's the one I'm I'm showing you, even if if listeners can't actually see it.
1: <laughs> and you said you were going to come back to the Star of David. I did. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Thank you.
0: Yes. Um, you know, to put a lot of emphasis on this when when I spoke to him. Um, he wore a Star of David all his life, around his neck, and um, I mean, he wasn't Jewish, of course, but he he was an orphan. He was brought up in a ways home, and at one point, he was adopted by a Jewish family. And wearing Star of David was a a, a form of um, recognition of everything that that family had done for him and he and he wore it all his life and i found the significance of this some some time afterwards when i found um in an archive the drafts of an autobiography well i'm sorry, several have got several autobiographies <laughs> a draft of one 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 autobiographical draft and he talks about jazz and black musicians and Jewish musicians and Jews. And he draws this parallel between the place of African-Americans in American society and the Jews and um, draws this, this picture of the close relationship between the two. And you could tell that this is something that he kept with him all his life, both as, as a memory, but also literally, in that he wore the Star of David around his neck
1: all his life before I let you go you've touched on this a little bit throughout the interview but I was hoping you could maybe go deeper into the connections between jazz and photography as modes of artistic expression the similarities between jazz and photography and sort of this what you call these cross modal correspondences between the two
0: yeah 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 i mean a lot of um uh, quite a number of photographers who've published Mm -hmm. anthologies of their jazz work and write about their their jazz work draw parallels between jazz and photography um and there are there are clear you you can push these too far but there are clear parallels um perhaps one of the most common Uh, themes has been to emphasise the way in which capturing the moment as a photographer requires a degree of spontaneity and improvisation which in a sense parallels that of the jazz musician and that the best photographs are taken if the photographer is able to uh, be aware of the circumstances be aware of the flow of the music and just capture that moment particularly during an improvised solo Um, and, of course, there is an element of truth in this. You have to be aware of the... Env- if you're doing performance photography, you have to be aware of the environment and you have to be aware of the... Um, uh, uh, the change, the, 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 the ebb and flow of the music. And uh, particularly, as I said, if jazz is such an embodied music, you're looking to capture those moments. This is a very important part for jazz, performance photography. But I think it doesn't completely describe the relationship between jazz and photography because as I've tried to stress in the book there's a lot more to jazz photography than simply the uh, performance photography and there's a lot more to jazz than spontaneity and improvisation there's a lot of non-spontaneous and non-improvised activity around jazz as well. Jazz musicians have to live a life, they have to have a family, they work in a community, they do things outside jazz. And I think in that respect, um, and perhaps if I brought this out in the book again, um, it's an important thing to stress, that creating Creating an artistic artefact is this combination of structure, process and technique, and spontaneity and creativity. And that's what I've tried to bring out in as being the essence of all the photographs I've looked at in the book. Clearly, some emphasise one thing, some emphasise another. And that's in the nature of jazz performance as well. Um, We can spend a lot of time talking about jazz pure improvisation but we know it's not we know it's not pure spontaneity what makes jazz such a unique and fascinating form of music is the way in which these two elements interact and i think that's true of photography as well um and if that brings me back to the point about uh, photographers and reflexivity well perhaps that's what i'm trying to do in the book and make those connections
1: perfect the uh, This book, I have to say, it's 300, 400 pages long. It's over 400, yeah. But it's so easy to read. You know, I told you before we started recording, it, it, I read it in two or three sittings. It was so entertaining. You write so accessibly about such different topics. I mean, obviously, this book is fantastic for people who are interested in photography and jazz, But also, as I'm sure listeners have gathered from this interview, it's fantastic for people interested in discussions on race and gender and uh, US history in the 20th century and how all of these things combine. I have one final question for you, which is a tradition on the New Books Network, and that is to ask what you're working on now.
0: I'm working on um, a, a number of British photographers, um, and I'm doing some work in connect with in conjunction with the National Jazz Archive in in this country, um, which has a collection of a very fine collection of um, a number of British photographers from the sixties onwards. So I'm looking more recent more recent work than in the book 60s, 70s, 80s, and looking specifically at British photographers and British jazz. <coughs> And In a sense, however, it is a continuation of the theme of the book, because what I want to try and do is to show the ways in which um, these these photographers, the British photographers, have interpreted jazz in the specific social and cultural context of of Britain, Um, and the ways in which jazz came into Britain, and the ways in which it was interpreted and what you might call the tradition of British jazz emerged and how they visualized it. So that's, um, I think, a continuation of themes of sight reading, um, but uh, a more recent period and looking specifically at uh, this country.
1: The book is Sight Readings, published in 2022 with Intellect Press. Dr. Ainsworth, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it.